Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here with The Pure Now Show. This is episode number 28. My guest today is Thanos Kagalos. Thanos is from Athens, Greece. He's a motion designer and the founder and director of Motion Punk. He's worked with high-profile clients like Netflix, Google, and EA Sports and tells some wild tales of being a hardcore gamer. Here we go. Hey, Thanos, thank you so much for coming on the Pure Now Show. Really appreciate you uh, giving us your time and sharing whatever stories and information that you may have that uh, our audience might be interested in hearing. Nice to meet you. Thank you for inviting me. Sure, man. So you're in Athens, Greece, correct? Yes. Yes, I live here. I always lived here, actually. There's a lot of romantic notions about Greece. It's a romantic island, these amazing ceramic-looking homes on top of each other, and there's uh, water below and white flowing dresses and shirts and motorbikes. It all sounds quite lovely. I've never been. Is that kind of it? Kind of. Uh, it's like, imagine the best places where you live. This is what it gets advertised, you know? So I live in Athens, which is the capital, and the capital is a bit gray and dull. It's not like what you're describing. What you're describing is mostly on the islands, which are very pretty. But the capital, you know, just the capital with traffic and cars, and it's not very nice, not very nice, but it is what it is. Have you lived in Athens your entire life? Uh, I grew up in a small city called Nafplio, which is very nice, it's, as you describe it. It's one of the greatest cities in, in Greece, uh, with a lot of green next to the sea, etc., very iconic. And when I became 18, I came here to study, and since then I've been living here, yes. Well, let's talk about that. We want to know what maybe was that first spark, what was that inspiration that led you down this creative path of motion graphics and animation? What was maybe that quintessential thing, a movie you saw, or some visual experience you had that inspired you and made you want to go in this line of work? Yeah, well, honestly, this was a bit uh, random. It wasn't intentional to do motion graphics. It all started when, as I said, back in 18, I was studying finance and I really hated it. I was, I am not into math. I don't like numbers. I don't like all those things, but I, I didn't know what I like. So after uh, I, I quit, after staying three years and trying to study this thing, I quit. And I said to myself, I need to do something or my parents will kill me. So, uh, <laughs> typical Greek teenager, let's say. I tried to do graphic design at first. I thought it has a more broad scope of advertising and I had a friend that had an advertising and a production company here at the, at the time. And I started doing graphic design for one year. And I also realized that this wasn't much my thing because I can't draw well and then they told me that I could either go and do web design or 3D animation and I was like what is 3D animation and they said to me it's this you do cartoons and stuff and I was like okay let me try that and I became addicted imagine I had no idea what Photoshop is and the very moment I discovered those tools I became very very addicted at the time, 3ds Max, this is how I started getting involved in 3D. Uh, I was doing it for, I don't know, 15, 18 hours per day for two, three years. It was crazy, nice times, never, never stop learning, you know. 
And from there, this story goes back to 2005 or something, because I'm not that young as I look. I'm 42, actually. You look super young. Yeah, yeah. And after finishing 3D animation, here in Greece, the industry is not like grown or anything. So it was tough to to find the job. The jobs were very rare here. And once you found one, it was very difficult because you had to be rigger, 3D character animator, modeler, all these things. Motion design didn't even exist as a thing back then. So I took a few years off. Uh, I was playing games and, you know, partying and discovering the world again. At around, let's say, 31, I started taking my life more seriously and took on a job on an advertising company. And I started doing lots of After Effects there. So this is, let's say, my main introduction to motion design, moving type around, managing lots of layers and small things and stuff. And there I realized that in this line of work, there isn't only characters You can just play with shapes, you know, you can have a cube and animate a cube and things. And this intrigued me very much. And one thing led to the other. And then I joined the studio. I I went freelance for some time. And then I joined the studio, which helped me grow in that regard. Helped me do lots of commercial type of work, uh, getting hands-on with actual things in the industry. And yeah, from there onwards, I founded after that my own studio for a couple of years. And the last two years, I decided instead of being, you know, a businessman to go back and be again a designer and focus on my thing uh, because I, I want to be hands-on with stuff. I don't like to manage people. I don't like the whole shebang of, of this thing, you know. Well, that's a good topic because there's definitely an art to doing the business side of art. And it certainly takes a different temperament and It's not creative in that sense. We've had uh, quite a few guests on who've walked that fine line of managing a studio and still been able to maintain their creative identity and not fall too far on either side of that coin and have actually had to self-educate themselves on how to be better business people so they could function at a high level doing both. But I can appreciate that You just want to be a creative guy. Tell me about Motion Punk. In my previous studio called Yeti, uh, with my partner, we had this funny little description in our cards. We were creative directors, but uh, we didn't want to call it like this. We were called ourselves Motion Punks. So after uh, leaving uh, Yeti, I just took the name and uh, made it my own brand. So Motion Punk started as a studio at first with me art directing and collaborating with other artists and trying to get direct into clients. But it has evolved more to a solo thing, to be honest. Uh, Me going around and working as an art director or a creative director in in various uh, studios in the industry. Because again, as I was saying, I prefer to be completely hands-on and focused on the things instead of, you know, again, having a team to manage. And I realized that I didn't want to leave one studio and just create another. So I'm trying again to keep things simple. Although circumstances are always pushing, they found a way to make you become a businessman again. And as you grow older, you start thinking of that. You're thinking, okay, now I'm healthy, I'm good. I can be hands-on, I can grind still, etc. But how long does this last? At some point, you need to invest somewhere. So I don't know how Motion Punk will evolve again. But for the moment, it is what it is. It's mostly me and the friend that has uh, Houdini. 
and we are art directing jobs, doing a lot of design work, style framework, etc. Let's talk about how the industry has shifted. COVID had a part of dictating how people are going to work together, creating a lot of remote opportunities. How did COVID affect you personally and professionally? And how has that changed or not changed how you do business now? COVID actually had a very big impact, firstly on my decision to leave Yeti, my studio, because at the time, I remember it was March 2020, right? Two years ago. And we had landed uh, two very big jobs, one from Microsoft for Microsoft Edge, from Elastic Studios in Los Angeles. And then we got again from Elastic the main title sequence for a series called Coyote in Paramount Pictures. So. At the time, COVID helped a lot to get connected, you know, with such a big studio as Elastic because in the past we have worked with uh, clients like Google and stuff, but it wasn't, you know, it was these jobs that somehow land to you. It wasn't like a more open door to the industry, let's say. And COVID played a major role in that for Elastic to find us and hire us as freelancers. And we managed to pull off the main title completely alone almost. So that was a major benchmark for us. And then I realized that I just can't do this. I don't need a studio. I don't need having people around me. I can't just stay and focus and do all those things. So I think while, of course, COVID is catastrophic, you know, and all this harm that created the last two years, the isolation and everything, it opened doors for every freelancer. It's crazy, but I wouldn't believe two years after that I would work with studios like Marvel's Machine or The Mill and all these big names that I was fantasizing a few years back. But now it's like a daily routine. Like I think the studios also sit this way. They don't have people in-house, most of them still. So they probably think, yeah, let's hire anyone since no one is here. Everybody can work remote. Also, everyone is used to work remote right now with you know the clouds and uh, Dropbox and uh, Teams and everything. So I think COVID definitely helped see, to, to shape the industry in a different way and in a positive way, in my opinion, for uh, freelancers and uh, directors all over the world. Yeah, pretty much to raise territorial boundaries. And since people were used to working online virtually and we figured out file transfer speeds and, and all these things to accommodate what was perceived as a problem, which it was, of course, for millions of people. At the same time, as you say, it changed how you do business. It created opportunity where opportunity did not exist before. And that has continued on. And now that that crisis, as it were, has passed for the most part, how have you leveraged that experience? And how do you see your career moving forward? And has that also opened up all kinds of other opportunities for you? Well, personally, I don't see me changing what I'm doing, right? I love this remote thing. Uh, I have some studios, some very good studios offering me staff positions and, and things like this, but I really prefer this remote kind of working. I think the only disadvantage this remote thing has is that you don't get connected with colleagues and stuff to get inspired because it's different, you know, sitting alone in your computer and thinking alone without having someone to bounce ideas off or thoughts or to see what the next person is creating and open oh nice detail and then get inspired so i think this is the main aspect that it's missing from this remote work 
And honestly, I don't know how this will go forward once everything opens again. Maybe studios will get back everyone and try to build their base again. Maybe, but I think it opened a permanent door for global collaborations and this will remain, at least <laughs> I hope it will remain because it has served me very, very well so far. Do you think this might be an entrance into VR? Because we are lacking this connection aspect of it to even have a virtual connection where we perceive that we are in a room full of other people looking at work, working together. Could this be the next level of that advancement where we find ourselves perceiving that we are working together since we have decided not to in this way? Yeah, that's actually a great timing with the meta and everything, the NFTs from last year and all those things. Maybe it's a sign from God or whatever, what happened with COVID, uh, you know, semantics, like we started to become virtual and all of a sudden every aspect of our life kind of become virtual. What we buy, we buy online, we take our groceries online, uh, we do dating online, we do work online. It, it has become kind of a VR experience all this. We are just lacking the glasses to see you next to me, for instance, I just see you in a window for now, but maybe in a few years, yes. This will open a door to VR, but I also think that VR has a lot of years to become something very much involved in our dailies. I think the technology is not that it's not there, but it just is not there for everyone. It's not going to be that accessible just yet in terms of devices and solve all the technicalities, let's say. So you don't have, for instance, to have huge glasses to go and see VR. Maybe as I sit in here, I should press a button, you know, uh, holograms. But I think this technology is a little bit far away, but is is definitely COVID helped at least the big innovators like, I don't know, uh, Elon Musk or Zuckerberg or these people to start fantasizing a unified universe, you know, where we all coexist even if we are alone, let's say, which I also find bad. <laughs> I prefer personal connections in general. I'm not a fan of this VR idea, you know. You're listening to The Pure Now Show, a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. Yeah, well, it seems like a double-edged sword. We are starving for connection. We are under this perceived umbrella of instant gratification through electronic connection, but it's probably the loneliest time in, in the history of, of human beings. And that's maybe the most dangerous thing for us is to be isolated and be alone and disconnected with a fantasy perception of connection, which is hurting us more than it's potentially helping us. There must be another step. Like, you know, we talk about, yes, it'd be nice if these glasses here served as this HUD display where we put ourselves in a room full of a bunch of people and we didn't put on this giant device in order to engage with it. But yeah, we're a long ways off of that for sure. But you're, again, you're at home working by yourself, right? And uh, you're dealing with people in Zoom and Google Meet meetings, and you're not engaging a lot with colleagues and uh, co-creators. How long do you think that can last before maybe things become too disconnected and become too homogenized? I think things have become too disconnected. It's like, I don't think anyone enjoys being alone and working alone and not having physical presence of others. So, I don't know. It's like when first TV was invented and people were used to be out, I guess, and do all their activities out. And then you have a box in your house 
and everybody just sit with excitement at first, you know, to watch TV. And after some time, they realize that TV is depressing them, for instance. But for some reason, they can't stop watching. They just keep sitting here for decades later. They're still on the same medium, you know, sitting there, eating their things. Now TV has maybe be replaced by internet and windows on the internet, but it's the same concept. I think no matter how disconnected you become, you also become addicted and kind of used to because I think we're creatures of habit. So you kind of, you know, stay there and, and you probably need some big changes in your life to start rethinking the way you want to interact with the world, you know, when the people around you. Well, you're kind of in both worlds because you're creating content that people are ODing on. It is the drug, which is content. And at the same time, you're a person and you have a life. How do you balance that out? What are you doing for yourself to ensure that you too are not a veg for the digital screen and that you're taking care of yourself? Well, um, not many things, honestly. <laughs> I'm kind of... Uh obsessed from time to time with uh, 3D and motion graphics and design. It's like my go-to thing every day. I don't remember a day since the last seven years or so that I haven't opened my computer to do something, even, even for a little, you know, even, even to get my laptop and stand on the bed and, you know, open Cinema 4D and do a little animation or something. But lately, as you said, I realized that being a veggie is not a good thing. And I started going out again with friends, uh, you know, bars and things. The things that I, I've stopped doing for a long time, to be honest. I also travel. I was actually traveling before COVID. And now I'm trying to put this in my life again. So, for example, next week I'm going to Barcelona to off festival. Although, you know, again, job related, but probably it's a you know, a vacation thing. And I also do things like bicycle. I, I got a bicycle this year and I started exploring Athens, this ugly city with my bike. Um, I love going, you know, uh, walking parks and things like this, you know, not living the wildlife, let's say, but, you know, being out. Uh, of course, every summer, the last uh, two years, I'm at the sea every day. Sea from here is like uh, one hour or so. So, you know, I go for a swim and it's very rejuvenating. But yeah, I think I'm not very good at balancing motion design life and real life. And I think that this content creation or design aspect of what you want to call it, it, because it's scentless, you know, it's not something that you can stop at some point and always evolves. You are always, you know, getting hooked and hooked in that until probably at some point you get tired and uh, you know, retire or something or find something else, maybe shift to other things, you know. Well, it sounds like you actually do have some balance. I mean, you may not from where you sit feel that you do, but based on what you just told me, it sounds like you do take some time to take care of Thanos and get him to the beach and get him in the ocean and get him on a plane and get him on a bicycle. And those are really super important aspects of creating a full life versus just, you know, a work life. Let's talk about the fact that you are a super young guy and you're very successful early on, which is great. Pre-COVID and post-COVID, let's talk about some of your experiences professionally working with clients. Why don't you tell me about a client, without being specific, a client engagement 
that didn't go very well for you. But on the other side of that, of course, through crisis, we learn things about ourselves and how to work better. Give me an example of something that really didn't go too well, but maybe you're grateful for nonetheless. Most of the clients uh, like to think that themselves as, as creatives as well. So this complicates a lot our work all the time. And when you start something with good intentions, you end up swearing at 12 o'clock at night, you know. So um, a bad experience. Uh, in general, I said many no's in my life. I wasn't always accepting things, not in terms of a client asking something and me saying no, but I said many no's to many jobs that I had the intuition that won't go as planned, you know. So I think this is very important to have this uh, intuition on your own and you know evaluate someone when you're talking to him and see if he has something that doesn't fit with you nicely. So besides money, you need to evaluate those situations and never get involved from the get-go because once you get involved for professional reasons, you cannot just step back and leave or something, which is something I've done in my life, I think only once, to be honest. So this happened the very moment I left my studio and I was trying to get a client from Canada that was good money and stuff. The job was relatively easy, but the job involved liquid simulations. It wasn't a creative thing, but it was, you know, very technical. Some liquids going inside some bottles and stuff. And while the storyboard and everything from the get-go was very clear on what we're doing, and when we started actually doing the thing, they thought that this is something that real time changes or they can have 20 iterations per day or some crazy things like that. So my friend Agustin is very skilled in Houdini and very focused on liquids. So yeah, we just kept putting out things, putting out things. And at some point I realized that the agency wasn't even showing what we were doing to the client. They were not presenting any options to the client. They were just there bitching about us, you know, not doing our job and stuff. And at that point, I just pulled the plug. I was like, yes, okay, this was fun, but no. <laughs> you know, sometimes you have to step your foot down and say, you know, enough is enough because clients, especially uneducated people, and there are a lot of them in advertising agencies, you know, that act as the middleman between you and the client. These uneducated people cannot evaluate what we're doing because, let's be honest, it's uh, advertisement, it's not always creative. And most of the times it just serves a very specific purpose, like make the typography like this or do this in a very certain way that doesn't work creatively, but works in terms of what clients want. So I think uneducated people cannot differentiate when you do art type of commercials and typical client of commercials. And they should be more, you know, respectful, I'd say, to creative people like us, because we are the ones that are leading this thing. And probably we have also better skills sometimes to sell this on the client, you know, because this is a skill as well. It's not me drawing uh, something pretty. I need to be able, you know, to, to persuade you that this pretty can work for your business. And I think people that lack all those skills are just becoming an obstacle for creative people like us. And do you think that is why there's so much content? I mean, it's ridiculous because of all the social media. And I mean, we're just inundated every second of every day with stuff. And, you know, it's not easy to find the good stuff unless you're looking for it. And of course, usually the cream rises to the top, but you know, our attention spans have been reduced to mere seconds. 
and that must be a bit of a challenge for a creative person that is taking on the responsibility of you know, doing some kind of messaging project for a big brand and they want it to be impactful, it needs to be beautiful, it needs to be functional, it needs to be effective, results driven, but all these factors to try and come across in five seconds is, you know, it's almost impossible. So now the opposite of a, a nightmare job, give me uh, an idea of an amazing opportunity that you had that turned out really great, you're super proud of, again, you don't have to name names, but something that was the opposite, that you were working with people who knew what they were talking about, and you got to uh, produce some of your best work. I always hate what I do. I don't like anything. I just want to move on and be better and be better. But let's suppose that there is some kind of best work, let's say. But not best work, I'd probably say best type of collaboration. And uh, I will say name, I, I, I'm okay with that. Uh, when I started working with uh, Manverse Machine, because uh, the guys are very, very professional, very respectful. You take your time, of course, very demanding. Yes, it's one of the pioneers in this industry, let's say. And I think all, all the studios in this caliber are very respectful to what you do. So they give you time, you take your time to do R&D. I, I mean, in the, in the end, it, it always comes down to the client, right? It's not always, uh, no matter how big your studio is, in the end, there is a client. It's not like you can do whatever you want. If you want to do that, you just go and do NFTs, you know, be on your own and do your thing. But in terms of collaborating, it's been a great experience. We've worked back to back a few times since last year. And every project has been great. Uh, all the people are great, polite. Everyone is eager to help you. There isn't competition, not even in the healthy way. You know, it's not like what someone did and I do it better. No, it's full collaborative spirit. Producers are very kind, very respectful. Uh, nobody's pushing you around. It's great because this is probably rare many times. And honestly, I'm not sure that the best environments in this industry are when you are freelance and maybe it's different if you are in-house and you have more pressure on your shoulders. But I think in terms of being a freelance, working with big studios that knows the pipelines and the job and the dead and what's achievable really makes you feel great and makes you, you know, productive and makes you do the extra hours on your own without getting asked to in order to deliver some quality thing. What do you see as far as the difference now? Again, everything is virtual, you're working remotely, you're working with some serious agencies that have some real firepower and can offer you some really juicy projects. Do you miss working at the agency at all and having a couple of heads around you and brainstorming or are you satisfied now, now that these behavior modifications have kind of cemented themselves? that you're just used to this online presence whereby that's where brainstorming happens, that's where all the communication happens. Do you think that it's pretty much no going back now? I, I think there is pretty much no going back because as I said, of course, it's better to be in person, but probably the best animator that you wanna work with lives in Shanghai, for instance. It's, it's not possible to always get the best talent around you. I think the for many people, the physical presence in the studios is mostly, you know, to say a joke in the morning and go for a drink afterwards. You know, it's mostly, you know, <laughs> you wasting time. Yeah, not wasting time, but yeah, it's more to be a social animal. You know, right. it's not like 
oh, he's the best guy we work with. You don't care about that. Probably he's the worst guy next right. to you, but you're a best right. friend, you know? Right. <laughs> you're fun, right? <laughs> he sucks, but he, he tells good jokes. Right. No, it's important. I think also in every team, if everyone is very strict and very professional and very, you know, uh, well-mannered. So, for instance, I wouldn't be able to work in a sterilized environment that everything is like, you know, you sit here, no, you don't talk to me now, three o'clock, it's, we stop for you. Yeah, fuck that. I mean, we want right. to, you know, have fun. And if you, if you don't have fun, you can't be creative in the end, right? Well, that's part of why we choose the industry is it's fun. I mean... Life can be serious enough. We don't want that, you know, 24 hours a day. I mean, geez. So now you're pretty much freelancing full time. You make your own hours for the most part based on your workflow and the pipeline. You've integrated that into your personal life. I think what we want to know is what advice would you have? Because you're still a young guy. There's still people that are starting out and it's not starting out like when we started out, when you did go to a studio, now you're starting out in the virtual world. So there's way more competition because now you're talking about this erasing of territorial boundaries and anybody good anywhere has an opportunity potentially if their portfolio is online is being looked at by the right people their career could be launched in a minute. So there's not a fight to have resumes out there. The whole game is completely changed. How would you put together a story of what would be the most ideal way for a young person who wants to be a motion designer, somebody who really is passionate about the work, what do they need to do to break in at this point? And, and if they have broken in, what do they do to increase their success rate and their ability to grow themselves and their businesses. Yeah, things are very different now and easier in a way to create content, but more difficult because the competition is huge, right? You see every day Instagram is flooded with great images, great 2D, great 3D, everything is, is great and you always feel useless. So. At some point you just stop looking at it and you say, no, no, I will create my own thing because, you know, I'm scared. You get this imposter syndrome, you know, very quickly if you are looking at social media so much. But I definitely would recommend for people to start creating personal projects. This is the way of getting recognized or getting seen by the right people in the industry because in personal projects there are no restrictions. So you're technically and creatively very open to do what you want and therefore you showcase both of these skills, right? And of course, because as you said, uh, headhunters are out there now all the time with this uh, online thing, it's very easy to get approached quickly as long as you create one nice image, right? And somebody notices you, it bookmarks you, let's say, and if you create a second nice image and a third nice image and they see some consistency because one thing alone is not always enough. If you create a little bit of consistency, definitely people start to notice. I think it becomes kind of fair in a way now because people, as you said, have very little attention span. So in order to start following you in social media or things like this, they must be intrigued by what you create. So this is a measurement, let's say, uh, 
Unfortunately, this is this is a measurement of success also in our days, how many followers you have and stuff. But it's also fair, I think, in our industry, we're not singers or actors. You know, we're people that create something. And, and if this something doesn't engage others, you don't get this social following and comments and all that. But again, this shouldn't be a thing to think for someone, oh, I have many followers, I'm good. It's always not like that. Sometimes... You just have engaging content for hobbyists. There is a different type of content that attracts studios, you know. You have to show that you can output some good quality and to have some taste besides the technical limitation. So I definitely say doing personal work, doing personal experiments and expose them, not like hide them somewhere. Just take them out in the public, see what people think, hear feedback, try to improve on that. And besides that of course once you get in somewhere doesn't mean that you will stay in right this is the trickiest part and there comes the for me the important aspect of soft skills let's say you have to be communicative you cannot be like speaking on the chat about it you need to be able to go on camera with some people and talk and understand the feedback and be respective and be polite and always no matter what you do, you shouldn't never miss a deadline, right? If you say something on a job that by the end of the day we need to do this, even if it's not good, you just need to deliver something, you know? This is very respected from people, the effort that you put. There's also so much content nowadays online, educational content, that can help people grow without going to schools. This is very important, I think, because it's free. A lot of it out there, it's free, so... For instance, when I switched from 3ds Max to Cinema 4D, I remember just purely watching the quick tips in Max on YouTube channel, right? It was like one minute things that solved this and this and this and these problems. And, and once you see a lot of them, you're just having a better understanding of the whole program, for instance. So yeah, definitely personal projects, expose your content, don't hide it, don't be too introvert because I know artists can be very much introverts, but you, you have, you know, to socialize online, like it's not very difficult to post something and of course not spam, just post what you think is valuable, otherwise um, I think people will ignore you. Right, right. You're listening to The Pure Now Show a creative podcast for creatives presented by Balance. So Thanos, if in fact, for whatever reason, this particular profession was taken away from you and you were told you could not do it anymore, what would you want to do with the remainder of your existence? Does it have to be work? No, it could be whatever <laughs> you want. I mean, perhaps you have saved enough money through your creative work that you can retire but maybe you do need to generate a little revenue out of whatever it is you're doing and uh what does that look like for you well parallel with my client work but it's relevant to what i do i also teach motion design i have a patreon channel where i do tutorials and stuff but let's say this is also taken away from me yeah you can't, can't... there's no motion design dude okay. you're done that's it okay um probably I would do something that involves people. I would never ever go to a job that you're isolated in a screen or in a box or in a dark place. No, something that involves people that you have daily contact. Maybe I would try, you know, to open a bar or something. 
and you know socialize with others uh, not something big something small you know something more personal let's say where me and my friends come and uh, you know hang out and drink etc of course i would never be able to live like this i would probably bankrupt in a year or something <laughs> but um definitely without i think i think on that question now that you mention it okay. but uh definitely something that involves physical interactions and and daily interactions with others and not being again isolated somewhere even if the job is like going construction and carrying up uh, you know weight and everything which i cannot but let's say i could i could also do that i mean i don't mind as long as i have some people you know to share a beer and laugh and that's about it well on that note you seem like a happy guy pretty well adjusted professionally satisfied you seem personally satisfied also you know that balance issue what would you say to young people or even people who've been in the business for a while who just have not found that space where they are able to find contentment across the board in their life because some people put all their energy in that professional life and then they come home and they're not happy and you know they have families and there's just a lot you know there's no separate personal and professional life life is life it's just everything's intertwined so what have you done for yourself aside from what you've mentioned which is going to the beach getting on the bike seeing some friends what would you recommend for others in order to have a good balance in their life I'd say you need to be able to evaluate your current situation at any given moment. And of course it's not always easy because once you're involved in something, you cannot be objective about it. But if you feel unhappy, you need to step back and evaluate and and try to see what makes you unhappy, you know? For instance, when I dropped my job from my previous studio, while it was a very successful studio and earned a lot and you know I didn't have to do everything etc I wasn't happy because I was too much into this thing as you said into the business and the pressure and expanding and all this and I couldn't realize it as I was doing it but at some point as covid hit I realized that yeah it's it's pushing me on top with the covid and everything and the, the isolation made this feeling of unhappiness you know to rise even even further So I took a step back and I said what is it that doesn't satisfy me at the moment why am I feeling so much pressure no reason because if you think about it art and design and all that things there are nice things let's say there are many important things in life like your health and uh, you should always prioritize your health no matter what anyone says to you it's like number one thing if you're not healthy you cannot be happy you cannot be creative you cannot be anything anything at all So I definitely say that people should take a step back, take some time off from things and evaluate. I mean, it's a trend we never catch, you know, not only motion design but life. It's, it's not something that you can oh, okay, I got it and now I'm fine. No, you're always behind. So it's a matter of a decision if you feel like stressing about being behind or if you think that yeah, that's it. This is how life works. I need simply to enjoy my days, not being irresponsible but simply enjoy my days without stress and of course it's difficult and it's personal thing to evaluate what makes you unhappy and how to deal with it uh, i know a lot of people go you know to therapy and say the things they're angry about their job or their family life or anything that can also of course 
help. Uh, but I think it's always inside. If you inside know what's eating you, you can probably talk it with your friends, with the people you trust, and you know, take some advice and just take it on. I mean, life never ends until it does. So in the meantime, just be able to adjust, be able to leave your job. It's okay. You can leave your job. It's not somebody will kill you for that. You know, there are so many other jobs you can start over. I've started over in my life so many times. Like. I started over practically at 40 years old, you know, even I've done many things and just starting over again. So I think it's always possible. Tell me about some of the things you did before you found this passion. Uh, what was the road that led up to that? I was enjoying myself too much. And uh, one of the scenes that I was doing for a few years is I was playing online games a lot at some point. I think it was kind of an addiction to me playing something on the computer and make it work as I want it. So I think games have a very similar goal, let's say, as with motion design. So I play this online game with my team, League of Legends, for instance, and I have to take the enemy's base and win and then move to the next match. So motion design is kind of similar, you know. You have this project, you have to be very creative and it has to have a great outcome. And then you take it, you get the money and you move to the next one. So I think... Yeah, I think gaming played the major, it sounds silly probably, but played a major aspect in pushing me to do visual and creative things. And how long were you gaming? Oh man, years. I mean, <laughs> when I finished the 3D animation school around 2004, while I was kind of good at it. I wasn't interested into character animation because back then it was either character animation or nothing. You were useless other than that in 3D. So I started playing for two years, I think, a game called Lineage. All day I was playing that. I was going to internet cafes. There was a thing here in Greece where there's this place where you go with many computers and you sit around with everyone and, you know, play. Probably it's a thing everywhere, but yeah. That's a global phenomenon, okay. yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, yeah. There's crackheads all <laughs> over the world. Yes, exactly. I was a crackhead back then, I guess. And uh, <laughs> and then um, after I got fed up with this, I decided to go out and, you know, start having more healthy relationship with uh, girls and other people and be social again and not be an ape in a cave. And again, after growing up, while all of my needs settled down, I had a job, I had a girlfriend, I had everything, you know, in order. I discovered a new game called League of Legends and I went there again online for, again, two, three years. On a daily basis, we were gathering with some friends from their home at night after work and we were playing till the morning and, yeah, it became a toxic <laughs> thing in the end, but helped me a lot. Yeah, it's a time vampire. Time and energy vampire. Imagine working from 10, 11 in the morning and come home at 8 at night. And around 9, just open your computer. Of course, when you play online games, you cannot play one match. It's, it's, who plays one match? It's like... That's like having one drink. Yeah, I can't have... You're what, not what, I take a sip yeah. of beer? No, I drink four right. beers, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, it was some time-consuming thing that thankfully has ended. How did you pull yourself out? Because it takes a lot of willpower or some kind of coming to terms with something for you to turn that off because some people never turn I know. 
and it's a problem actually. Very dangerous. It's it's a it's a very. I'm laughing about it now for me, but I know it's a, it's a very major problem for some people. I think I started finding motion design much more interesting. Like it had the same amount of problem solving and getting to a solution and things. And this this became my new drug, let's say. This this gave me the adrenaline that I needed in my life, you know, going inside and animate something or making some simulation. And I was immediately hooked with that. And this was also making money for me and gaming didn't. So on top of this game, let's say, I had also a reward. So this is how I got over with gaming. I don't know if I didn't find motion design, if I would be still, you know, destroyed and, you know, 40 years old, the gamer and stuff. And now sometimes I go to a friend's house and they have a PlayStation and they're like, yeah, let's shoot, you know, let's play some basketball or something. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't. I think it's a total waste of time for me right now. If I want to do something in front of a screen is either watch a movie or go, you know, open Houdini or Cinema 4D and just experiment. I think this is my new drug. <laughs> well, that's pretty interesting because, you know, the gaming, especially since COVID too, since all this isolation, gaming has just exploded like crazy. And there's way more addicts maybe than ever, but that you found this transitional thing and you're teaching. So have you equated the potential of leveraging motion design for others out there who may be addicted and know they're addicted to gaming to present this opportunity for them to transition out of gaming into creating? Yeah, I think. Especially young kids. It's, it's difficult to draw people out of gaming. This is what I figured out when I was a hardcore gamer myself because I was, you know, going to this internet cafe and I was playing from the noon because I was waking up at noon and I was playing till the next morning. You know, it was so addictive. I was playing, I don't know, 15, 16, 20 hours sometimes per day. I ate there. I was ordering some pizza and I ate in front of my computer. And very, it was very tricky for someone to pull me out from the situation. It was something like that I had to take out of my system, let's say. I had to get somewhere so this thing starts become boring at some point. And I think what drew me out personally, it wasn't any proposals like come and do design. I didn't, I didn't care, you know, I didn't care at all. It was mostly meeting people online that were in these online games with the intention more to chat rather than play, you know. So I started developing some friendships online and met a girl online. So from game, it suddenly kind of transitioned to real life thing that had more values, let's say, than the game itself, because the games, honestly, online games after a while become toxic, right? They're fun. At first, they're very fun. But after playing hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, no matter how much you enjoy, when you lose, you become bad tempered and uh, you become very competitive. And um, there's foul language everywhere, people insulting you online, people you don't know. It's, it's very it's very tough. Imagine this bullying thing becomes online. It's it's real. It can affect your psychology. And, and you've probably heard crazy stories like a guy from this game dropped a sword and found real life the other guy and went and beat him and, you know, all this craziness. I lived in Ashland, Oregon, home of the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And a young man on my birthday was found almost beheaded. And they attributed this 
as being a gamer who decided to take it to the limit. Yeah, it's sad, right? It's very sad and I don't know how... It's, it's very difficult to pull young people out, right? I think yeah. people that are interested in something can be intrigued by something. People that aren't, it's... I don't know, it's difficult. It's like saying you have uh, someone in your family that is a drug addict and how you take this drug addict out if he doesn't want to uh, help themselves, you know? It's, I know it's sad, uh, but it's, uh, it's a thing. It's if you don't want to help yourself, if you don't have the mentality to help yourself, uh, it's very difficult for others to just pull you out, you know? I have a teenage son. You have touched on something very close to me. Um, all levels of that, which has been the ultimate challenge for me, for him, his mother, his sister, and uh, it, it took a long time and a lot of pain and suffering to get him out of that world and get him into the world. And I think that's what happens. You talk about serious detachment from reality. You're eating pizza in front of your screen, you're drinking your Red Bulls, you're smoking, you're doing everything you would do, and the screen becomes your best friend. And, uh, uh, well, I applaud you for figuring it out. Uh, not everybody figures it out. Sometimes it's a very dangerous road with, uh, with a bad ending. And uh, maybe more and more. And uh, uh, it's a really tough job to be a parent in this world because of all that enticement, all that, you know, the carrots out there being dangled in front of you. And, you know, when I was a kid, we went out, rode our bike and played football on the street and ding dong ditch and everything was outside. And Mark, come in for dinner. It's like, no, mom, we're outside. But outside has become inside this thing here. And um, it's catastrophic, frankly, I think. So I'm hoping that at some point, something balances that out. I am concerned, like you mentioned the VR world, it's just another replacement mechanism for the beautiful antiquities of a world that we've been given that we have abandoned and destroyed, essentially. And uh, it's, it's really, it's tough to watch. It's really tough to watch. I know, I know. I also think that when you do this type of life, being in front of your screen as a teenager, you have something deep hidden inside you, you know, something that you don't want to face. You don't want to be controversial about it. You don't like the conflict. But there is always something else, you know, besides having fun. It's probably something that you haven't expressed in a proper way and you need to get it out of your system before moving forward. But it's a, definitely a process. And I'm sorry you're having these things from time to time. I know it's pretty hard. No, he's actually doing really well now, but it was a very challenging year and a half where we had to send him away to a program where he could be with people to provide care to him around the clock. He lived on a ranch even for like a year and a half, a working ranch. And it was the, actually, I really think he's lucky because most children don't get the opportunity for a real education that he got because of desperation. And most children just go through this nothing education system that presents nothing and he had to take a, a much harder road and on the other side he will be more valuable to society because he had to go through and survive things and maybe he can help those people 
that he sees are having the same kinds of life challenges. So I, I think he is just becoming a mentor or teacher, uh, hopefully, and that's a road that, that he will choose. But uh, yeah, it's not easy being a young person these days, much harder than maybe ever. Too much information, too much exposure. At least when I you know, grew up in the 70s and 80s, it was a lot less, you know, I, it was not constant bombardment of media. Again, we were outside, we were doing things. I mean, we were doing drugs and going to parties and doing stuff, but at least we were going out, you know, and uh, uh, interacting in a, in a physical world, camping and doing things. And I, I see that we are getting further and further away from the mountains and the sea, uh, but maybe that'll change. I mean, it wasn't COVID that did that. Uh, maybe that was the intention was to shock us into a reality of seeing what we have before we lose it. But we're we're pretty dumb and uh, and keep doing the same stupid stuff over and over again. So whatever, man, that's just it's, it's what it is. You're here. You get a life. You get to do whatever you want. If you want to sit on the couch, so be it. I know. I know. But as you said, I, I agree. I think COVID is a reminder of what we've been missing. So, for instance, people here in Greece, here is always, you know, sunny and stuff, good weather. Um, they are now out like crazy. So, all the physical activities now are full on because we have an open situation right here. We are taking away the masks. We have the three doses of the vaccines and everything seems to be working somehow. So, every, everybody goes wild now, which is very healthy. But it had for this reminder to get us back because we were sinking and sinking and sinking. So I guess if also COVID had one positive thing besides freelancing, it's also that it was a reminder to everyone that life is out there, you know. It's nice at first to have your work from home and be there, but after three months that you wake up dirty with your pajamas and pretending that you're uh, fresh, it's not healthy. It becomes a very unhealthy thing, you know. So. At least this is what's going on here right now. People are simply out. You go out and it's crowded. It's like, so you get COVID also very fast in this way, but uh, at yeah. least people are out, are not inside their homes anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's great to hear. Thanos, I really appreciate that you came on the show today. It's great to chat with you. Appreciate your candid storytelling and uh, we wish you all the best, of course. Thank you, Mark. Very nice meeting you. If you enjoyed the Pure Now show, you can check out more episodes at balancestudio.tv or anywhere fine podcasts are broadcast. Pure Now is produced and engineered by Hai Ha Dang and directed by Dong Wun Guan. Thanks so much for watching.